With that, let's go ahead and and, uh, pray before we get started. God, our Father, Lord, we do honor you and praise you this day. Lord, we thank you for all of your goodness to us, your kindness and your mercy. Indeed, it follows us all the days of our life. We thank you, Lord, for the precious blood and cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we do count it precious. We thank you that you have sent your Son to redeem us from our sins. O Lord, to be our prophet and teacher, we thank you, Lord, that he has brought light to our eyes. Lord, to be our priest, Lord, that he might intercede for us and reconcile us to you, O God, once for all. We thank you, Lord, that his work of salvation is finished and accomplished. We do praise you. We thank you, Lord, that he is also our ruling king. And, Lord, we look forward to that day when he shall subdue all his enemies under his feet. O Lord, we pray, come quickly. Cause this to happen soon, God. Oh, Lord, we wait eagerly for it, and we thank you for the privilege of the knowledge of it. And, Lord, we, uh, we just want to rejoice in you today as we gather with all your saints, and we uh, listen to your word proclaimed, explained. Lord, as we sing and make melody in our hearts to you and give praises to your name, we thank you for all that you are to us and all that you are doing in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. Uh, So with that, um, we are currently uh, on on the outline in a study of the offices of Christ. The offices of Christ. And if you will... um, These offices that Jesus fulfills are roles which are described in Scripture that he possesses. And um, these, these roles are the office of the prophet and the priest and the king. So if you will, Jesus is explained in the Scripture as a prophet. And that is because men are ignorant and they need a teacher. Amen? But he is also a priest, the scripture says. In fact, he is described as our great high priest. Amen? And this is because men are filled with guilt and they need an intercessor. Amen? They need a mediator between them and God. And so then also Jesus is described as a king. And, in fact, this is what the world needs so badly, is a righteous king. Amen? And this is because men are rebels and need to be subdued and governed and ruled over. Amen? So then, Jesus fulfills all these offices to us. And uh, what a glorious uh, picture that we have in these offices of all that Christ is and, um, and so much more. 
we began uh, this part of the lesson talking about Jesus being a prophet. And there we said that uh, Jesus is actually the fulfillment of many uh, prophecies of, of him coming and being a prophet and teaching us and showing us the Messiah was one who would come and teach. He was one that would come and would bring light to the eyes. And so he did exactly that. He came and he teaches us the true value of all things. And that he teaches us to see and judge our own hearts according to his own perfect values. And furthermore, that he gives us insight into the unseen spiritual world and the eternal kingdom of God like no other. And Jesus is this greatest prophet of all who came. And he himself was the fulfillment of all of the prophecies. And so when he came, he spoke words that brought light to the eyes like never before. Amen? And of course, Jesus is the one who speaks those very penetrating words that talk about even our very soul and our eternal standing between us and God. And he has made the way of salvation crystal clear so that now we can see and we can understand. Because we know that the gospel was a mystery that had been kept hidden for long ages past, but now has been disclosed to us primarily by Christ and then also the apostles and prophets of the New Testament church. Amen? And so then... um, Jesus has come and he's brought this light. He is the prophet that was to come and has enlightened our eyes. And, of course, that's a bit of review. Last week we also got into the idea that Jesus was our great high priest. And uh, we, we just kind of entered into this, uh, this discussion about Jesus being our great high priest. Um, if you will, looking at the bottom of page 24 on your handouts... Um, we discussed the fact that the scripture clearly says that there's only one mediator between God and men in 1 Timothy 2, 5 through 6. But then also we talked about the fact that because there is only one mediator, that Jesus has come and he has satisfied the requirements of God in his priesthood perfectly. That his priesthood is a perfect priesthood. That what his ministry that he fulfilled, which he was ordained by God to fulfill, he came and fulfilled perfectly. Therefore, that intercession between God and man that Christ brought is perfect. So when you think about Jesus as our priest, you need to consider the sufficiency of his work. The sufficiency of his ministry as a priest in reconciling us to God. And therefore, what that means in the quality of the reconciliation that we have with God. Are you with me? It's perfect. It's perfect. It is lacking nothing. Our salvation is secure. It is completed by Christ. And it is completed perfectly by Him. And, and uh, you know, this is what sets Christianity apart from every other world religion. It is the fact that we have a high priest who has performed a perfect intercession between us and God. Our faith is not in anything that we have done, but it is in Christ alone. Amen? And we put our faith in Christ because of what? Because of His finished work, which He has completed, which He has worked, which He has wrought. Amen? And so it was in Him that the requirements of God's holy justice were satisfied. Amen? What does that leave for us to do? 
in regard to our reconciliation to God, right? Except to receive what Christ has provided. And even that is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So if you will, um, when we consider this priesthood of Christ, we need to consider the fact that it is perfect. And uh, today we're going to talk about some more elements of it, but I would like for you to remember this idea of the perfection of Christ's priesthood. Because when we talk about what his priesthood means to us in the various aspects that Scripture describes it, consider that in each one of those, it is a perfect priesthood. Okay? And we'll talk some more about that. But if you will, Jesus came and what he did, he did perfectly. Hebrews 7, 26 and 27 says this, For it was fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily like those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. Okay? If you will, there is a statement of finality there. Jesus performed his priesthood once. Amen? That's a very clear point in this passage of Scripture. He performed it once. Okay? So if you will, this work of Christ is a final work of priestly intercession. Because Jesus' priestly work was holy and undefiled, his work was sufficient to make us perfect in God's sight forever. His work was sufficient to make us perfect in God's sight forever. Okay? He doesn't have to come and offer himself again. Right? And of course, I mentioned the Mass. And I mentioned that, you know, in the Mass, Christ is uh, sacrificed again and again and again and again. And I pointed out what a fallacy that was. Because Jesus has been sacrificed once for all. It's finished. It's over. It's done. It's complete. Amen? It's final. It's final. There is no other sacrifice needed except the one that has been offered by Christ. It is the final priestly work needed to mediate between God and man. So when Christ had completed it, he sat down at the right hand of God. This is what the scripture says. Look at Hebrews 10, 11 and following. There it says, Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But he, that is Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. You see what, it, what it's describing? It's saying that Jesus performed his work and then he sat down. He's done. It's finished. He's resting now at the right hand of God. Amen? Amen. He goes on there, verse 13, waiting. Jesus is waiting. Did you know that? Jesus is waiting. Consider that. It's a very important concept in today's lesson. But if you will, here, I'm sorry, Hebrews 10, 13 and following, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. Now look at verse 14. Every Christian ought to have this verse memorized. It is a glorious truth. Amen? 
For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Amen? Amen. You hear what the scripture says? That we have been perfected. That we have been perfected. Okay, what does that mean? Does that mean you'll never sin again? Here's what it means. It means that you have a positional righteousness with God in heaven through Christ. So that none of your sins, past, present, or future, shall ever be held against you again. Why? Because Christ's priestly work and the sacrifice of himself satisfied perfectly the wrath of God for sins, plural. Amen? Amen? Iniquity has been atoned for perfectly by Christ through his one offering. That's what the scripture says. And for those for whom that has become proficient, are you with me? Who by faith have come to Christ and trust in him and been born again by the Holy Spirit, right? They have now been, the scripture says, perfected by one offering for all time. Okay? We've been sanctified. We've been cleansed. We've been washed. We have been completely made clean in the sight of God. Amen? Okay, so this is what the scripture says. Jesus' priestly work has cleansed us in such a way that we have been completely sanctified, washed and cleansed from the guilt and shame of our sins. And so the scripture declares in 1 Corinthians 6.11, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. You see how the scripture describes the cleansing work of Christ? He says we have been sanctified. We have been washed. Amen? We have been justified through our Lord Jesus Christ. For by one offering, by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Amen? I really like the way the NIV renders this verse. Because those very last few words where it says those who are sanctified, I think it uses a much better term there to describe who these subjects are. There in the NIV it says, for uh, by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Are you with me? Because what it does is it expresses the, the totality of sanctification. It's not just positional. Christ has not just won us a positional sanctification with God forever because we're still here struggling with sin, are we not? But in this process of struggle with sin, right, we are also being made holy. We are also in a process of practical sanctification. We're in an ongoing process of becoming like Christ. We're in an ongoing process of learning how to practice the holiness of God. Amen? Because now our nature has been changed. Right? We are now a new creation in Christ Jesus. And the Spirit of God has given us new birth into this living hope. Amen? Into this grace of God where we now stand, where we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's through that ministry of the Holy Spirit that we are being made holy. Amen? 
So there is, if you will, in sanctification, two kinds of sanctification. There's positional sanctification and there's practical sanctification. Positional sanctification is that thing where Christ has made us perfect forever in the sight of God. Why? Because he's fully satisfied the wrath of God for sin. It's paid. It's done. It is finished. Amen? But at the same time, we're in this unique age where Christ has come to rule as king in our hearts, but is still yet subduing our wills unto him. Amen? And if you will, we are practically being made holy even as he is holy. Amen? It's a very interesting and profound thing to consider what God is doing in the church. Amen? Who could have thunk it except God? Amen? What a... What a unbelievable, awesome, epic saga that God has put together in creation. Amen? I think it's just fascinating. I know you do too. Well, in this, in what? In the fact that Jesus has completely satisfied the requirements of the Holy Father, that he is the final, he has performed the final priestly work, and that we have been completely sanctified in these things, we can have great assurance in salvation that, that the salvation that Jesus has worked for us. It is indeed complete and comprehensive. Jesus' priestly work on the cross is perfectly complete so that our sins are completely forgiven in a way that we stand before God holy and blameless and beyond reproach. And this is what the scripture says of us. It says, Although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, Colossians 1.21, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. You see that? This is a work that Christ has already accomplished. He has now reconciled you how? In his fleshly body through death. That's what it says in Hebrews 10.14. For by one offering, by one sacrifice, he made us perfect forever. You see, this is the same thing that Paul is describing in Colossians. We've now been reconciled in his fleshly body through death. It is the death of Christ on the cross that has become for us this perfection. It has become for us the very righteousness of God. Jesus' death on the cross was all that was needed for us to be sanctified in the presence of God. And he has proven that by, by being raised from the dead. Okay, And we have yet that same promise that there's coming a day when death and hell shall no longer have any power over us and sin shall no longer be our master, but we shall also take on that very perfection of Christ. Amen? But during this this time, during the time of the church, we are in this process of being sanctified. It's a very, very uh, uh, interesting uh, thing to consider what God is doing in the church. But look what it says about the character of this reconciliation, Colossians 1.22, that in, in order to present you before him, how? Holy and blameless and beyond reproach. So the next time you're struggling with the guilt of your sins, consider the sacrifice of Christ. 
Consider how you have been washed, how you have been sanctified, how you have been cleansed by one offering. Amen? And uh, what's interesting is the scripture doesn't stop there as it describes the priesthood of Christ. It doesn't just say that what he did, he did back then and it was finished and now you just have to trust him. Okay, but the scripture tells us that we can come to him and cry to him for help in time of need. Why? Because he's a sympathetic high priest. He will come to our aid, the scripture says. Amen. And, and Christ's priesthood was not just something that was completed back then. It's something that is an ongoing intercession for us now. Amen. Let's look at how the scripture describes these things. Because Christ has died one time for the sins of all of his people, he therefore has provided a complete and eternal reconciliation with God, and he himself is the mediator between God and man forever. Of course, we've, we've discussed that, that this uh, reconciliation is forever. It is eternal. It is a finished, completed work for all of those who have trusted Christ. Amen? God will never again have his holy anger aroused by our sins because of the perfect priesthood of Christ. Okay? Here's what the scripture says. You were not appointed unto wrath, right? But to receive what instead? Salvation, right? That's 1 Thessalonians 1.10. Okay? We weren't appointed unto wrath, but we were appointed instead to receive salvation. Amen. We are the elect of God. We were appointed by God. And all who were appointed by God, Acts 13.48, believed. Amen. And when we believed, we received, if you will, okay, that benefit that Christ provided for us of eternal reconciliation with God. And here's the deal. God's wrath for sins has been satisfied on our behalf. It will never again be aroused toward us. Never, ever. He was wounded for what? Our transgressions. Right? The chastisement that brought us peace was upon Him. Amen? He bore our sins in His body on the tree. Amen? Family, it's done. The wrath of God has been satisfied for you if you are in Christ. Amen? I don't know about you, but those are some of the sweetest words we can hear. Amen? Well, uh, this intercession is not only one time at salvation, but it is an ongoing, ever-present intercession, which satisfies God and provides a way of eternal reconciliation to God. Listen to these scriptures. This is Hebrews chapter 7 again starting back in verse 23. And the former priests, on the one hand, existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, on the other hand, because he abides forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Hence, also, he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Okay? The scripture says that Christ holds his priesthood permanently. He will always be the mediator between God and man. He will always bridge the gap between us and God. Christ will always be there as our advocate before the Father. Amen? It says the same thing in Romans chapter 8. I think it's in verse 32 or 31. 
Um, but the idea that Christ is uh, continually making intercession for us, verse 25. He goes on here, Hebrews 7:26. It was fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily like those high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. Okay? And again, pointing back to the sufficiency of that one sacrifice that Christ performed. And because of that sacrifice, this uh, has maintained for us in the sight of God forever a perfect intercession. It was that one offering that was satisfying, appeasing, propitiating God's wrath. Amen? Listen, this is what was satisfied in the death of Christ. God's wrath. God's anger. Christ propitiated God. Are you with me? God was satisfied with Christ's death for us. Okay? That's why there isn't anything we can add to it. God is satisfied with Christ's death so that we don't have to die. Amen? Amen. Glorious. Glorious. 1 John 2, 1 and 2 says this, My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Amen? Listen, here's what the scripture says. If you're struggling with sin, he says, My little children, I don't want you to sin. But if you sin, let me tell you something. We have an advocate with the Father. Amen? So what do you do with your sin? You run to God. Amen? You cry out for help. Amen? Because God knows you don't want to sin. God knows you hate your sin. Amen? You loathe it. Amen? And it is through such motivations that we become holy. Amen? We have a contrite heart before God. We sin. And we consider how weak we are and how mighty he is. Amen? Well, <clears throat> therefore, we can have confidence in approaching God. Because Jesus has perfectly interceded for us with God. And opened a way for us to approach God and find help from him in all of our needs. When the scripture describes the priesthood of Christ, it adds this element that we can have confidence before God. That we can, the scripture says, boldly approach the throne of grace. Well, what does that mean? That we can puff up our chest and walk into the throne room of God? God forbid. (laughs) Right? Here's what it means. (laughs) That a loathsome sinner like me can even enter into the presence of a holy God without being immediately destroyed. Amen? So we kind of boldly come in on our knees. Amen? We boldly approach the throne because of Christ. Amen? Not because we are worthy, but because His priestly work is perfect and He has interceded for us. Therefore, the Scripture says we can have confidence in approaching God. Okay? This is what the priesthood of Christ should mean to us. It should mean that when we are struggling with sin, 
When we are needy and need help with things, whatever they may be, things in our life, things in our family, things, whatever our need may be, we can have confidence in approaching God. Okay? Listen to how the scripture describes this. Hebrews 10:19. Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Here's what the scripture is saying. Listen, that since we have confidence, why? Because by one offering he's perfected forever. You see, that's in this context. Because we have confidence to enter the holy place. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus. Because of his broken body. That is his flesh. Amen. And since we have this great high priest that God has provided for us to satisfy his own wrath. Amen. And think about what that says about how God then is desirous of us to come into his presence. And how God has wrought this this reconciliation. He was the initiator of it. Amen? He initiated the reconciliation with us. He's the one who has said, I want fellowship with you. Amen? And then he's brought that about through Christ. Should we then hide in the bushes with guilty Adam? Or shall we come into his presence and into his courts with thanksgiving and with praise? Amen? And shall we have fellowship with the Father and with His Son? Amen? And shall we possess the joy of the King? Think of all that God has done for us. Let us not hide with guilt. Let us not be ashamed. Listen, our guilty conscience, it says here, have been washed, sprinkled clean, washed with pure water. Amen? The pure water of the word, it washes our conscience. And when you read the word, if you're convicted of your sin, praise God, you're a holy saint. Amen? Glorious things that he has done. Look at Hebrews 4, 15 and following. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Right? Listen to that statement. He's, he's saying we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted like we have. Amen? You ever wonder if Christ was tempted? Let me tell you, Christ was tempted. That's what the scripture says. So when people tell you Jesus can't be tempted, they're confused. They're mixed up. They need to get their theology right. Okay? The scripture says Jesus was tempted. I know we went over that. But the point is, is that he was tempted and yet was without sin. So because we have a high priest who can sympathize, who has been tempted like we have in very similar ways, right? Listen to what the scripture says. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Amen. Why? That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Okay, 
So when the scripture describes the priesthood of Christ, this is what it says. He can sympathize with our weaknesses. And so based on that, we can draw near to the throne with confidence to receive mercy and to find grace to help in time of need. Amen? You know who God is, right? He's a very present help in time of trouble. Is he not? He's our refuge and our strength. He's our strong tower. And the righteous run in and they are saved. Amen? Amen. He's our shield. He's our hope. He's our strength. He's our light. He's our salvation. He's all these things to us. Why would we go anywhere else with our need, with our struggle, with our burden? Amen? Amen? Are you ashamed to come to God? Don't be ashamed to come to God. Draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Because of Christ, He knows your butt dust. He knows your weakness. He knows your struggle. Okay? Bring it to Him. Listen, you have not because you ask not. You tired of struggling with your sin? Cry out to God. Where else, where else shall we go? Amen? We'll be lost without Him. Amen? For he's the great shepherd. Amen? Amen. The scripture tells us we can, we can draw near with confidence to the throne of grace to find mercy. He's a merciful God. You know what that means? It means he helps the helpless. Amen? I don't know about you, but that describes me to a T. I find myself day and night crying out to God because I'm so weak. And oh, what a place of refuge it is. Amen? This is the one I esteem, says the Lord. He who is broken and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Amen? You want to find a place of refuge. You cry out to God in your weakness. Amen? These are the sacrifices of God, Psalm 50. A broken and a contrite spirit. Amen? God, help us. And there he has helped us. And the scripture says there we can draw near with confidence and find grace and mercy to help us in time of need. Amen? Amen. Therefore, because Christ in his human nature has faced the limitations and suffering which are common to man, And because God has in Christ become a man and walked where we walked and experienced our suffering, he is therefore able to relate to and sympathize with our weakness. With Jesus, we will find a compassionate and loving priest, the true heavenly priest of God Most High, who cares for us and who is sympathetic to our needs and opens his heart of mercy to help us. And again, yet another place in Hebrews... Talking about Christ's priesthood, it says this, 2.17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things. Right? He had to take on our nature. Right? That he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. Why did he have to take on our nature? That he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. You see what the scripture says? 
It's a finished, completed work. And now he stands ready to what? Come to your aid. He can sympathize with your weakness. Amen? It's not always easy to live a Christian life, is it? I know it's not nearly as hard as the way of the sinner. That is hard. But it's not easy learning how to put off the flesh and walk in the Spirit, is it? It's very difficult at times. So difficult, God has to chastise us frequently. Amen? But praise God, He loves us so. Amen? But here, listen, in the midst of it all, the Scripture says He is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. You hear what the Scripture says? You're struggling with sin? Is your sin too strong for you? Let me tell you, the arm of the Lord is not too short to save. And here the scripture says, he's able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Amen? Look to Christ. He will deliver you. Believe it? Amen. Well, let us therefore learn the great benefit that is ours through the priestly ministry of Jesus our Lord. He has performed everything necessary to reconcile us to God so that now we have peace with God through him and help in our time of need from him. Amen? Of course, Romans 5, 1 and following. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand And we exalt in the hope of the glory of God. Amen? We now have peace with God. We have made our peace with God through Christ. Amen? And what a glorious peace it is. That bumper sticker stands true, doesn't it? No Jesus, no peace. Amen? When you know Jesus, you know the peace of God. Amen? And it is a treasure like no earthly treasure. Amen? Praise God. Well, with that, I, uh, we're going to look at the kingly office of Christ. And I, wanna, I want to uh, remind you of the handout back on pages, starting on page 20 and going through page 22, where we talked about the fact that um, Jesus was in his exaltation, the scripture said, made to be ruler of of the nations, okay? And I went into some detail pointing out scriptures that spoke of the earthly, kingly reign of Christ, okay? Namely, during the millennial period. We talked about that at length. I provided a chart for you, and I provided you with scriptures that talk about the earthly reign and the earthly rule of Christ, and so some of that I'm going to leave, if you will, in that section. But I'm, I'm also going to blend that together with this idea of Jesus the King. And uh, I, I think these things are just profound. I get into studying these things and it just I just wind up in glory, just praising God. It's just so fabulous. But I, I wanted to read this to you. You may be familiar with the prophet Micah. But I wanted you to hear these words as we begin to talk about Jesus the King. This is Micah starting in chapter 4 and verse 1. 
It says there, And it will come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as chief of the mountains. And it will be raised above the hills, and the peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us about his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For from Zion will go forth the law, even the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge between many peoples and render decisions for the mighty distant nations. Then they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation and never again will they train for war. Each of them will sit under his vine and under his fig tree with no one to make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. Though all the people walk each in the name of his God, as for us, we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather the outcasts, even those whom I have afflicted. And I will make the lame a remnant and the outcasts a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from now and on and forever. As for you, tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you it will come. Even the former dominion will come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. Now, why do you cry out loudly? Is there no king among you? Or has your counselor perished that agony has gripped you like a woman in childbirth? Writhe and labor to give birth, daughter of Zion, like a woman in childbirth. For now you will go out of the city. Dwell in the field and go to Babylon. There you will be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. And now many nations have been assembled against you who say, Let her be polluted and let her uh, our eyes gloat over Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord, and they do not understand his purpose. For he has gathered them like sheaves to the threshing floor. Arise and thresh, daughter of Zion. For your horn I will make iron, and your hooves I will make bronze, that you may pulverize many peoples, that you may devote to the Lord their unjust gain, and their wealth to the Lord of all the earth." Going on, chapter 5. Now muster yourselves in troops, daughter of troops. They have laid siege against us. With a rod they will smite the judge of Israel on the cheek. Did you hear that? With the rod they will smite the judge of Israel on the cheek. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Therefore, he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has borne a child. Then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel. And he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will remain because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. This one will be our peace. Amen. 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 Glorious prophecy of the age to come. Amen. Well, with that and, and talking about 
Jesus the King, I, I want to introduce you to this concept that you may or, or, or may, may not be familiar with, which is the idea of the fact that the kingdom of God in Christ has come and broken in to this age, but it has not yet come to its fulfillment. Are you with me? So the scripture would say of Christ that he's been highly exalted and that he possesses dominion over, uh, over uh, men and angels, over every dominion, far above all rule and authority and dominion and power, right? That Christ currently at the right hand of God possesses this dominion and that he has sat down at the right hand of God and he is what? Waiting. He is waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool. So even though Jesus, the Prince of Peace, is at the right hand of God, possessing all authority in heaven and on earth, he has not yet completely implemented that authority. He has not yet completely implemented that peace. Amen? Of this, no one would argue. Okay? And all of us together believe that Jesus is now at the right hand of God. We do believe he is exalted high above the heavens. That God has highly exalted him. And his name is above every other name. Amen? Amen. Yet we look around in the world and we see his enemies thriving. Have you ever tried to resolve that conundrum in your mind? Well, let me help you. It's this idea, this concept of the inbreaking of the kingdom. The kingdom of God has broken into this age. And right now it is a rule that Christ is meeting out in the hearts of men to those who willingly come to him. Okay? You have come to Jesus Christ and he is now your what? Your Lord and your king. Amen? And you have been subdued unto him. Amen? You are willing in the day of his power. Are you not? Right? But the whole world is not that way yet. However, when the scripture describes his rule, when the scripture describes his reign, it describes his reign as a complete reign, right? As an utter reign. He is going to subdue all of his enemies. Amen? So what is happening? Well, the kingdom has come, but not yet. Are you with me? And this idea is described in great detail by this great man, George Eldon Ladd. This book here is called The Presence of the Future. And uh, think about the title. The Presence of the Future. Okay? So what it has in view is this concept of the inbreaking of the kingdom. Okay? That the kingdom which in the future will be a kingdom where the whole earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Right? That kingdom has now broken in to this age, but has not yet come to its fulfillment. Okay? That concept is, 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 uh, is called the kingdom now, but not yet, or, if you will, the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. Okay? So everybody knows this. It's, it's evident for us all to see that Christ has come. He now possesses authority, yet all of his enemies are not under his feet. He's still waiting for that to happen. Amen. So with that background in mind, I want us to look at the scripture and what the scripture says about Jesus' kingship. Jesus is a king like no other king. He is the king of heaven, much less the earth. 
Jesus testified of this before Pilate when he said, when Pilate asked him, so you are a king, John 18, 37. And Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born. And for this I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Consider those words of Jesus. Very profound. Pilate says, are you a king? Jesus says, you better believe I am. Let me tell you, this is the reason I was born. Think about what what Jesus just said. You understand? This is the king of heaven. He's existed for all eternity. He spoke the world into existence. But he says, this is the reason I was born. This is the reason I took on a human nature. Why? To be a king. To be a king and to testify of the truth. Amen? Well, you see this frequently when, when there are things that describe the nature of Christ where his, uh, his, his offices are intermingled. Here, he was born to be a king, but also to testify of the truth. He's not just a king. He's a great prophet. Amen? He's the prophet. Amen? You see this, this mingling of his offices all the time. But the point is, he says, for this reason I was born. Right? To be a king. Consider that. Indeed, when the scripture describes Jesus' kingship, it speaks of it in a way which is unmistakably the greatest of all. For he is called, Revelation 19.16, and on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen? Jesus is the king of all kings, and he's the Lord of all lords. Amen? He possesses an authority which is far above all rule and authority and dominion and power. Amen? And there's coming a time, namely right here in this text of Revelation 19, when he is going to return and forcibly put his authority into place and establish his throne upon the earth. Amen? Have you read these things? Psalm 48, 1 and 2 says this, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. You see, Jesus is called the great king in scripture. Amen? Because that's what he is. He is the great king. He is the king of all kings and the ruler of all other kings. This is what it says in Revelation 1.5. And from Jesus Christ... The faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. And he has made us to be a kingdom and priest to his God and Father. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. Even so, amen. Amen. He's coming. The ruler of all the kings of the earth is coming on the clouds with power and with great glory and every eye will see him and all the nations of the earth will mourn over him. That's what the scripture says. Amen? Not just here. Those are the very words of Jesus in Matthew 24. Right? Verse 30. 
Well, um, here also, his kingdom is the largest dominion of all kingdoms because he possesses the entire heavens and earth. His authority is higher than every other because he himself is the only sovereign. And you're familiar with the term sovereign, right? The, the term sovereign defined is supreme authority. Okay? To be the sovereign is by definition to be the one. Because there's only one sovereign. Understand? That's what sovereign means. Sovereign means supreme authority. And only one can possess that. Amen? Amen. And that's God, even our Lord Jesus Christ. The King of kings and the Lord of lords, the only sovereign. He is the supreme authority and possesses dominion over all others. And of course, this is Ephesians 1, where Paul says that he, uh, God had seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, right, but also in the one to come. Consider this, that here now in this church age, Jesus is at the right hand of God and his authority is, is high above, far above all rules and dominions, not only in this age, right, but also in the one to come. So this kingdom of, of uh, God that has come in Christ, he currently possesses right now in this church age a rule which is far above all rule and authority and power, right? But it's not only in this age, it's also in what? In the age to come. And there's this whole idea of the inbreaking of the kingdom. In the age to come, that's the age of God. That is the day of the Lord. That is the age of God's reign. And when his kingdom is established, it will be a dominion that will not be destroyed. You understand? Remember when we looked at that in Daniel chapter 2 verse 44, in Daniel chapter 7 verses 13 and 14, in Daniel chapter 7 verses 27 and following? There it says that his dominion will be an everlasting dominion and his kingdom will not be destroyed. Okay, right now he's taken this place of authority and the scripture says he's waiting for his enemies to be put under his feet. And right now is this unique day of mercy when men are coming and flocking to Christ through the gospel. Right? And the gospel shall be preached as a testimony to all nations, Matthew 24:14, and then the end will come. Right? What end? <laughs> the end of this age and the age to come will begin, right? That's why Paul says he has this rule not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Amen? You with me? The inbreaking of the kingdom. It's, it's, it's now, but not yet. You with me? Okay. <clears throat> His throne will last forever. His dominion will never end. Hebrews 1.8, quoting the Psalms. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever, and thy righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. And I, I quoted for you there Daniel 7.13 as well. And it's also printed there on the bottom of page 26. At this point in time, Jesus is at the right hand of God in heaven. He is awaiting the plan of God to unfold as the church is preaching his gospel to the nations. 
His rule is currently a spiritual rule from heaven in which subjects come willing to him and surrender to his lordship by, by faith in him and all that he has accomplished. He rules in the hearts of people in this church age and has invited all people to come to him and pay homage as king and lord. During this time of Christ's spiritual rule, as people come to him, they endure with much reproach the sufferings of Christ. Think about this king who has all this authority and power. And yet his people on this earth suffer reproach and persecution. Think about this king who came as a suffering servant. And he says even to the one who wielded authority over him, you would have no power over me lest it was given to you. Amen? And think about how even Jesus the king and how he came and suffered, even though possessing all this authority, right? Scripture says he could have called 10,000 angels, right? Yet he willingly went to the cross and how this king suffered. You see, he's a very unique kind of king. He's a servant king. He's a king who serves. Imagine that. That's a picture of God. Even our Lord Jesus Christ, our great God and Savior. Amen. He's a servant king. He came to serve. How? By becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Remember, we talked about his humiliation. Right? And even those of us who are now kings and priests unto our God. Even us now suffer much reproach for the name of Christ. Amen? And it's been that way for the saints for 6,000 years. But let me tell you, it will not be like that in the age to come. Amen? There is coming a day that is going to be very different. During this time of Christ's spiritual rule, as people come to him, they endure with much reproach the suffering of Christ. However, this reproach will turn to glory when Christ returns. And that's what the scripture says. Second Timothy 10, 2.10. For this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen. Then they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. It is a trustworthy statement. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And there the scripture says uniquely, if we endure with him, we shall reign with him. Amen? About Romans eight seventeen, it says, If we're children, we're heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Amen? You see, to the degree that we partake in the sufferings of Christ, we shall reap reward. Reward of glory. Understand? It's a heavenly thing. It's a heavenly thing. And, and 2 Thessalonians 1.10 says this. It's discussing there the return of Christ in the, in the previous verses, and it's saying that he's going to come, he's going to deal out retribution to those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel. They will suffer the, the uh, everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord. In verse 10, when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day, 
and to be marveled at among all who have believed. For our testimony to you was believed. Let me tell you something. When Jesus Christ returns on that day, he is going to be glorified in his saints. And the saints are going to be lifted up high above all the nations of the people. And we are going to put our foot on the neck of our enemies. Believe it? That's what the scripture says in Daniel 7.27. Then the sovereignty and the dominion and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. And his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all dominions will serve and obey him. Amen? Uh, I know we're out of time and uh, so I better end. (laughs) I was hoping that I would get through this, but that's okay. Um, I just want you to be encouraged, family. Things are not always going to be like they are right now. Amen? Amen. And uh, let me tell you something. You suffer with Jesus now, you're going to reign with him in glory soon. You believe that? You're going to reign with him in glory soon. And let me tell you, that is forever. It never ends. You must be willing now to sacrifice, to serve Christ. Let me tell you, he is coming soon and his reward is with him. He is going to reward you. Amen? Amen. Be a witness. Open your mouth. Speak about his glory. Amen? It won't be long and it will be upon us. I know about you, I'm 40. In those 40 years, man... They went like that. Nothing but a memory. May God give me 40 more. And may he give me boldness to speak his word and to talk about the king. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of having such glorious promises in your word. We do eagerly await your coming kingdom that your throne would be established on the earth and all evil would be put under your feet. And that, Lord, your reign of peace would be ushered in and that we could lie down and rest with you. But, Lord, even now, as we wait with you eagerly, strengthen us, God. Strengthen our faith. Empower us to be all that you've called us to be. Lord, may we truly be a kingdom of priests unto God and may we mediate with your gospel between God and men. Lord, may we understand these things that you've called us to and may we carry them out by the power of your spirit. We thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing in our life. We thank you for such a glorious kingdom and we thank you for your glorious power and your glorious cross. Because of it, we pray. Amen. Amen.